Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I'm so glad to be back. My family and I have an annual summer visit where we go see our families up in Pennsylvania. And this time we also went down to my hometown of Virginia Beach and spent some time with them on the beach there. I know the last two Sundays were amazing. I want to give a thank you to Pastor Heather and Jim Bozeman, one of our board members, for incredible messages. You can give a better hand than that. Let's honor them in the house, guys. They did a great job. Thank you, team. Boy, uh, I want to open today with a question, and that is how many of you have ever prayed to God for help? when a significant thing was happening in your life. And actually, raise your hand. I think that should probably be everybody. I know all the kids in the house are about to start a new grade. And I know I used to pray for help every time going into a new grade. God, I don't know what I'm getting into. Some of you are going into a new school, like high school or middle school. What? Second grade, whatever grade it might be. My daughter really likes to, I have this one daughter who sits on the front row and she, it's like I have a side conversation happening with her. I preached at a church in Virginia Beach when we were there uh, called Tapestry Church uh, that a friend of mine pastors and she even did it there. I mean, she was calling back to me. It was like a full on comedic performance mixed in with a sermon. So you guys didn't know you're getting me and one of my daughters today. So you can put a little extra in the plate on your way out because it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Thank you, Nessa. Um, I know that I used to pray whenever I had a huge test. Anybody? It's good to pray for tests. Some of us that are married probably prayed a lot leading up to marriage or perhaps praying that we definitely want to marry the right person. In fact, last night I had the privilege of officiating uh, the marriage ceremony of Cole and Marie Jeffries, who are part of our church. Let's give them a hand. Some of you guys were there for that. Some of the families in the house, congratulations, guys. Boy, it was fun. It was a little hot. Remember how it was like 150 degrees yesterday? Well, we were outside for this wedding, and I think everyone in the congregation was very glad that I do a short and sweet wedding ceremony. And so we did a beautiful wedding ceremony, got back inside to the reception. It was just beautiful. But I know they are praying prayers right now because they're at a very significant moment in their life. And something that rings true for me is that our prayers in significant moments reveal our hearts. They let us know what's really important to us, what we care about. And likewise, with Jesus, we're going to study three prayers that Jesus prayed in John 17 today. We've been looking at the Gospel of John for a couple years now. If you haven't been here, that's okay. You can pick up anytime. We only have four more chapters after this chapter, so we're going to slowly start landing the plane. It's been incredible for me just studying and preaching. Hopefully, you've learned and grown in your faith, but all of John 17 is a prayer from Jesus in arguably one of the most significant moments of his entire life, right before he's gonna be arrested and led to his crucifixion, which is what we're gonna start studying next week in chapter 18. So we can learn much from these three prayers of Jesus. Look what Houdman said. The prayers Jesus prayed give us insight into his nature, his heart, and his mission on earth. The prayers of Jesus also inform and encourage us in our own prayer lives. Far more important than what, where he prayed, when he prayed, and in what position he prayed is the fact that he prayed. The theme of his prayers is instructive for all of us. And look at John 17, verse 1, the very beginning of this chapter. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So number one in your notes is Jesus lived a life of prayer. There are examples all throughout the New Testament. If you look at the life of Jesus, look at Matthew 14, 23. 
After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And if you're a kid in the house playing sermon bingo, pay attention to the word mountain. Thank you. For you guys, it might not be a mountainside that you climb up to pray, but it could be your room. It could be your car. It could be a nature trail. Look at Luke 5, 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 14. Once more, he went away and prayed. So amazingly, it was important for Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, to live a life of blessed dependence on his heavenly father through prayer. So he was doing it because that's how he was called to live, but he was also doing it as an example for us. And number two in your notes is that you were created to live a life of prayer like Jesus. He is showing us the perfect way to live. In our culture today, we don't celebrate the quality of dependence. Like no one usually says, hey, have you seen how my kid's growing? They're really dependent. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a quality that our culture affirms. It's actually a negative thing. We have to rewire our brains as disciples and followers of Jesus that we are created to be dependent on God. We have the opposite of a declaration of independence before the Lord. It's a declaration of dependence, and we demonstrate that through a life of beautiful prayer. And, and hear me carefully on this. There's no right or wrong way to pray. There's no specific model. It doesn't have to be a mountainside. You don't have to like the songs that we sang today. You can, you can really despise all of these songs and still be a Wonderful follower of Jesus, connecting with God the way that you connect with him. You tracking with me? Some people love to go pray in nature. Some people love to come to an altar in a church. Prayer is just conversation with God. In fact, I like how Alan Fodling says it. The whole of scripture is an extended story of conversation after conversation between God and people. Just like all of us parents want to have open communication with our kids, you know, we love it when they're pouring out our hearts to us, and it's terrible when we can't get a peep out of them and we feel like something is going on. And that's just a reflection of our Heavenly Father to us. He wants open connection with you. He wants to hear what's going on in your life. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a, a somber, quiet thing. It doesn't have to be a very loud thing. It's just you communicating with your Creator, who is your Heavenly Father. And Jesus, in this pivotal moment, Praise these three prayers. Let's start in verse one, the first of the three. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And if you really spend time looking at that prayer, Jesus is doing a couple things. He's declaring who his father is. He's declaring who he is. He's talking about what God is doing. He's, de he's declaring truth. Look in verse three. He says, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God. So eternal life for us, this way everlasting, is not achieving this or somehow attaining that. It's just knowing God. Like we're created to know him. So we have eternal life now in him as we know him. And what Jesus is modeling for us here, number three, Jesus prayed the truth. 
And you have to look at the context here too. At this point in the life and ministry of Jesus, the whole culture around him is attacking him. The religious leaders of the day are plotting to have him killed at the exact same moment he's praying this prayer. He's being slandered, accused, lied about, all kinds of things are going down. And in this moment, and in moments like that in our life, we sometimes forget that we are also called, number four, to pray the truth. Part of prayer is meant to be declarative. Part of the Christian life is declarative. We're not meant to just be bounced back around this way, that way, by whatever thought comes into our mind, by whatever someone might say to us at school, kids, or whatever someone might say at work. Who cares what your boss said? Declare the truth of the living God. Now, you should care what your boss says, don't you know what I mean? But don't let it ruin your day. Don't let it determine your thoughts for the rest of your week or perhaps even the rest of these next 10 years. We let everything that's around us sometimes have way too much power over us. And part of prayer, Jesus is showing us, is declaring the truth. I remember when Novi, uh, my 14-year-old, was little. She wouldn't mind me sharing this, I don't think. Um, But I'll pay you later. Don't worry. I pay them when I talk about them in my sermon. I talked about you too. You're right. Your money's coming. Don't worry. <laughs> they're, they're trying to up it on me. The agreement is I give them $1 if I talk about them in a, ser- in a sermon, and I have to do it for each service. And Nessa, the little one here, has been bartering with me to get it up to five. I'm like, what? And now Jessica, my own wife, I talked about her the other week, and she was like, what are you going to pay me? She's like, I'm worth more than a dollar, and she's right. And I just told her, my whole life is yours. What are you talking about? Everything I have is yours. This is all yours. What was I talking about? Novi, when she was little, uh, you know, kids go through stuff in their life. And sometimes when she'd be going to bed as a, as a young girl, um, we would be sitting there by her bedside and she'd be saying, I can't sleep. All I'm thinking about is this. I'm scared of that. I'm worried about this, whatever it might be. And we still do this as adults, as you guys know. And we really latched on to part of Psalm 23 that says, he leads me beside still waters. And there's something beautiful about remembering that the Lord leads us, our shepherd, And we would actually declare, I'm God's beloved. He is my shepherd, and he leads me beside not rushing crazy waters, not waters that I'm going to drown in, not loud noise, but but, but right now he leads me beside still waters. And when you do that, you're praying the truth, and you're praying declaratively. And we just sometimes forget as Christians that we're called to do it. In fact, the song we sang earlier that the kids did at camp, it has that bridge that says, goodbye, Shame and brokenness, hello, joy and happiness, goodbye, fear and anxiety, goodbye, lies and questioning. Jesus did it, it is finished. In my experience, sometimes a bridge like that is uncomfortable to sing because it seems like, to me, sometimes it can seem like it makes light of really complex issues of life, right? Becoming a Christian and following Jesus, I know this to be true, you know it to be true. It's not a magic trick. Sometimes life gets harder when we start following Jesus. Discipleship is challenging. Storms still come. But what I love about this bridge and why I think we should sing bridges and songs like this is because we are reminding ourselves of what God has ultimately called us to. So it's not that we can't question and wrestle through our doubts. It's not that we are always going to feel perfect joy and happiness. And of course, joy and happiness are, are actually different. There's a whole teaching there that I won't do right now. But, but God has called us out of shame and brokenness. So pray the truth. If you feel like you're in a deep slump and you've been there for a long time, at some point, the wake-up call comes from the Lord. And maybe you, you just need your soul to be stirred and be like, I've not been created to live in a slump. That's the truth. 
And now you might have to, thank you, Nessa, I got to yup. You might, you might have to do work. I believe in therapy. I believe in medicine when we need, I believe in things that, that, that we need to do to grow. But sometimes we just need to repent of not believing the truth that God has spoken over us. So I just want to encourage you. And maybe this is all you're going to take from the message today. Follow the example of Jesus and pray the truth. Look how the psalmist did it. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? So he's starting in a low place. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? How many of you guys know sometimes going to bed feels like this? Anybody? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But here's where he goes into praying the truth. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And if you don't know how to pray the truth or you struggle with what to say, maybe even just memorize that one sentence. And you can do just like the psalmist, pour out your heart to God at night or in the morning or right after the service and say, I'm frustrated about this, God. Here's how I feel. Here's what's going on. But by the end of that prayer, you better pray the truth and say, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. You're calling yourself upward. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And you are called to do this. And James says this a lot when he leads worship. He says, no one can worship for you. He says, I can't do this for you. And that's true about this. No, I mean, we can pray for you, but no one can actually live into the truth for you, but you. Are you guys tracking with me on this? By the way, I hope I don't sound like I'm overly yelling today because um, we were at the beach for a week and I have swimmer's ear in my left ear right now. And not just that, but I went to the doctor yesterday because I have no hearing in my left ear. It's completely shut. She said, there's nothing in it. Cause I've been like putting peroxide in, you know, I've been like doing everything. I probably almost destroyed my eardrum trying to get what I thought was like sand out of there. She said, no, there's something in your inner ear that's off. It's actually behind your eardrum. And so I can hear nothing out of my left ear right now, uh, including at the wedding yesterday. We're hanging out and cause you know, when you're used to hearing from both ears, once the hearing is completely gone in one ear, you're just in your own head like crazy. You guys know what I'm talking about? All I hear is myself. I can't really hear your responses. So I worked it out with Bill, who's back there in the booth, that if I get too loud, look at him real quick. He's going to give me this symbol. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Um, so if I sound angry today, I'm not angry. I'm just screaming because I can't hear myself. Uh, or if I'm talking too low, or if you come up to me and try to talk to me from the left, my kids kept trying to whisper in my ear during worship over here. I'm like, I'm, right now I'm actually deaf in this ear. Come over here. So anyway, I'll be right after service today. I'll be laying down with drops in my ear and taking medicine and all that kind of stuff. Billy Graham says this, if our minds and hearts are not filled with God's truth, something else will take his place. Cynicism, occultism, false religions and philosophies, drugs, the list is endless. So I just want to encourage you to pray the truth. And that Psalm, by the way, was Psalm 13. If you just need a starting point for praying the truth, go to Psalm 13 and memorize that last verse and just tag every end of your prayer with that. Now, moving on to the next part of the prayer in John 17, I want to prep it by saying Jesus, as you probably know, had disciples. He had followers. He had three, Peter, James, and John, that were his closest inner circle that he spent the most time with. Then he had 12 other disciples. And then there were more than just those 12. And in the second part of this prayer, he prays for his disciples, those specific people. 
And in verse 6, he says, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture will be fulfilled. And he's talking about Judas right there who betrayed him, who we're going to start reading about next week. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And this is just so beautiful as he prays for those who have been with him for these three years and following close. He prays that their joy would be full. He prays that they would be one, which as you're going to see is a theme throughout all of John 17. He prays for their protection. He prays that they would be sanctified by truth. And I could preach for a month on all the rich theology and promises in just this prayer. But for today, we're more going to look at it as an example for us, which leads us to number six, pray for your inner circle. So pray the truth and pray for your inner circle. And you may be asking, Who are they? Who is my inner circle? Well, ask yourself this question. Who has been entrusted to me to some degree? You may not be their sole provider or caregiver, but who has been entrusted to you? It could be physically, spiritually, emotionally, in some way. Of course, the obvious place to start here is our family. But sadly, it's not often so obvious because sometimes, let's just use spouses, for instance, we can sometimes completely neglect actually praying for our husband or our wife. You guys know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand on this one. Yet when we pray for them, not only does it affect them, not only does God move, I believe that, but it totally transforms our perspective of them. And some people end up hating their spouses partially because they've stopped praying for them and they've totally lost touch with God's vision for their spouse's life. They've totally lost touch with God's heart for their spouse. And so praying changes us. It it invites God's presence to move. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids, for your parents, for your siblings. Every kid in here, look at me real quick. Did you know that God calls you to pray for your siblings? Not a big amen. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to start giving out dollars to all these kids that give me big amens. Yes. Thank you. I don't have any dollars on me right now, but come back next week. Come back next week. All right. Remind me, I need to have $51 bills in my pocket next week for church. Come find me after church next week. I'm listening for the loudest amens. You're getting some money next week. I'm not joking. I'm going to have ones in my pocket. I'm rolling. I'm rich. I've got like $100. I don't know if you kids do that. I've got a lot of money, according to my five-year-old son, loaded 
It's crazy, but, but when we pray for our siblings, kids, it affects how we think about them. It helps us to care about them and love them in the way God does. Sometimes our friends are in that inner circle. And let me give you another category that perhaps you're not thinking about, but God has actually called you to make disciples that follow Jesus. Matthew 28, the very last thing Jesus says to us is the Great Commission. He says to you, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. And so discipleship and, and raising up people in the way of Jesus is not just for pastors like me. It's for every single believer all throughout the world. Because what we're called to do is invest much more than just coming and hearing a sermon. Coming and hearing a sermon is great. It's an important thing. Coming and worshiping with the body, connect with the family. I'm all there. Dive all in. Be committed. Be faithful. But you can do this your whole life and not actually grow. You need to be discipled and you need to be discipling someone. And discipleship is just pouring whatever has been poured into you, pouring into someone else. And that's part of your inner circle. And it's, it's very powerful. And uh, Charles Swindoll said this when it comes to discipleship. God made all varieties of people with a wide variety of interests and abilities. He has called people of every race and color who have been hurt by life in every manner imaginable. Even the scars of past abuse and injury can be the means of bringing healing to another. What wonderful opportunities to make disciples. Look at me close, guys. So many people feel disqualified from being a disciple maker. And let me remind you, you're not making disciples of yourself. You're making disciples of Jesus, right? You're not the perfect savior that they're following. They can follow you as you follow Christ. And all of us are imperfect in our following of Christ. The very place where you're wounded, I'm telling you, the very place where you're wounded and think maybe you're disqualified is one of the areas God's going to use to give you a special voice into those that you're going to disciple. Where we have been hurt, where we have suffered is where we comfort others. So make no mistake about it. You are called to have people in your inner circle that are not just family, not just friends, but that you are discipling. And we're going to talk more about that this fall. Then we're going to go into the third prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, and this is where we'll finish. Um, this is incredible, and I'm going to give you the, the principle first, and then we're going to read it. But number seven, Jesus prays for you. He actually prays for you. In this moment of his life where he's about to be arrested and go to the cross, you specifically were on his heart and mind. Look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them, my, my disciples right here alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know who that is? Every single one of us. Any of us that believe this is who Jesus is praying for right now. And he says that all of them may be one. Every follower of Jesus, all throughout history, all around the world. Father, may they be one just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Notice the theme here. He's repeating the heart of this prayer. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me. Now pause there. Look at me for a second. Think about what Jesus is saying here. He's praying for you and he's saying, Father, I want those you have given me. He's saying, I want Nathan Lee Kolar. That's my middle name. I want Nathan Lee Kolar, who's going to live 2,000 years from now. He's going to be born in this family and raised in the way of the Lord. He's going to go through all kinds of crazy stuff. He's going to wonder if he's qualified and he's going to have lots of doubts and questions. He's going to make tons of mistakes. But I want that kid to be with me. Can you believe that Jesus prays that for us? He prays that for you. 
All the stuff that you think somehow puts you in a different category, rubbish. He prays and wants you to be with him. And he has done the work of salvation. You are saved by grace through faith. And if you don't know Jesus yet today, you can just say yes. You can say, I put my faith in you. That's what this is about. But you got to know part of the heart of God is that you would be with him. And I am so thankful for that. He goes on to say, where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I I myself may be in them. What a powerful thing. And when we look at that third prayer as an example, it reminds us of number eight, pray for one another. Don't just pray for your inner circle, pray for one another. Take the example of Jesus, pray for the church family, pray for even your enemies, pray for those who have hurt you. Pray for the person that when you see their post on social media, it puts you in a bad mood. I was dealing with, a lot of frustration towards someone. This was probably about a month ago. And I just want to ease your wandering and wondering minds. It wasn't someone in our church. Uh, so you don't have to worry about it if I'm talking about you. But I was, I was frustrated with someone. And I do get frustrated with you guys. Make no mistake. I mean, it happens. But this particular story, it was someone else. And I was, it was really bothering me. Like, you know how it can really affect your day? It was a, it become a weight on me. I was not excited about life. It just, it kind of blinds you. And I eventually just came down to this piano. I was here in the office upstairs, and I came down to the piano. And I was just like, Lord, I really need help. And it, it takes a while. It's not a magic trick. But as I sat there, eventually the Lord reminded me of what I think is one of the most powerful psalms to pray when you're angry at someone else. And it's where David said, search me and know my heart. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And you know what it reminds us of that's so powerful is we can't control anybody else. We can't control what anyone else does. And we're not meant to. We can barely control ourselves. And when we come back and say, search me, Lord, and I ended up writing a little song on the piano just for me and the Lord out of that psalm. And I just prayed it over and over again, search me, God. And eventually when you do that, you become free. The burden of anger and unforgiveness can fall right off of you. And if you feel like that's impossible for you today, I'm telling you, that's possible. You're actually called to freedom. And it's hard, though, because sometimes even in church, we get hurt by people. We get hurt by the ugliness of humanity. And, and I said this in first service. It, it, it might offend you at first, but you'll get what I'm saying. It's not offensive at all. But there is ugliness in church because you're here. And I'm here. Humans are here. So ugliness happens in church. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's called humanity. We hurt each other. Sometimes we hurt the people we absolutely love the most. So you're going to get hurt. People will make mistakes, but we got to be reminded about Jesus' vision for his church that says, may they be one as we are one, Father. May they so forgive each other. May they have such depth of compassion towards each other that their unity, their forgiveness is going to be what convinces the world that I am real, that I have sent them, that, that my message is valid. And so What we are called to do is own our response. We always forgive. Always. We always care. We always do everything we can by any means possible to be at peace. And don't hear me wrong. 
Sometimes when people hear that in a message in church, they think about kind of this false, overly nice Christianity that's just kind of like surfacey level, blah, blah, blah. I'm fine with everyone and everyone's my best friend. It's not that. You can have forgiveness towards someone and be at peace with someone and unity with someone, but still have a healthy boundary with them because they're very unhealthy. You tracking with me? It doesn't mean everyone's gonna be your best friend. It doesn't even mean they have to be in your life right? It's, it's fine. The Lord is bigger. He can handle all this stuff, but you've got to deal with what's in your heart. That's, give me an amen. You've got to deal with what's in you. Thank you, kids. Who wants some money? You've got to deal with what's in you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. That's good. That's good. You can lose money too. This goes both ways. That was good. That was about the level right there. Then it goes into loss. <laughs> This is my parenting technique. Do you guys take notes? I mean, this is how it's done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you. You trying to earn some money back there? <laughs> I'm going to close with this. Don't, don't forget, even though there's brokenness in the church, Jesus has this incredibly compelling heart and vision for a perfectly unified church, the global body of Christ throughout all history. It won't be fully realized till the other side of eternity. But I'm telling you, even in the midst of the humanness, the brokenness, the reality, the body of Christ is gloriously beautiful and wonderful and powerful and the best thing going on this planet by far. I remember being a young adult and going to a 76ers game. I was a new young adult pastor 20 years ago. In the years of Allen Iverson, I got to do his, watch him do crazy stuff, packed crowds, Philadelphia, and I was trying to dream about how to start a young adult ministry that's going to reach all these young people I'm watching here at this game. And I got totally discouraged because I was like, how can the church compete with this? I mean, the money, the fame, the stardom, the excitement, live bas- basketball, especially in a good game, is so fun. It's so compelling. Lines out the door. And I'm going to go back to my little young adult ministry and people that I'm trying to disciple and be excited about the Lord and to like see this vision. And I'm like, we're losing here, God. What's going on? You know, I was like telling God, like, what's up with this? How come this is so awesome? And this doesn't seem that awesome. And uh, he just kind of, that was the beginning of him lovingly reminding me like, that's, that's adorable, little Nathan. I, I just want to give you a little glimpse for a second in the power and beauty and force that is the global church. It is the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most powerful thing happening in the world. Not because we, the people that make up the church, are awesome, but because God is awesome. We belong to him. We are where redemption is showing up in this world. Make no mistake about it. The people that are giving to pull people out of the slums way more than everybody else is the church. The people who are giving of themselves and sacrificing their lives to share the gospel and bring economic stimulation and serve and love their neighbors and lay down themselves, it's the church. And it's not to say that no one else is doing it, but it is all from the heart of God. So be reminded of this vision that Jesus has in John 17. This, this, it's more than a vision. With Jesus, it's a prophetic declaration of the future. This is what we are, and this is what we will be, and this is our guaranteed future. And one of our overseers here at the church is a longtime mentor of mine, Rich Guerra. He's, um, he oversees the Southern California District of Assemblies of God Churches. He used to always tell me, pray, I'm sorry, pastor the church that is and the church that is not yet. And you say, of course, pastor, everyone who's here, you're their pastor, uh, make disciples, equip people to do the work of the ministry, but don't forget, also pastor the church that is not yet. 
Who in your community, who in your neighborhood, who in your life is the not yet part of the church? We are, we are a church with an, with an outward focus, and I believe it applies to our prayers too. Pray for the church that is and the church that is not yet. So with that, I just want to go into a moment of prayer as the worship team comes, and we're going to end here in just a couple minutes. But if you could close your eyes with me, bow your hearts with me. I don't know what God is speaking to you. I don't know what out of this message is resonating. You know, the Lord has a way of taking when we preach his word. He just speaks whatever he wants to individuals. So I believe God is speaking something to you. It could just be that you need to receive the prayers of Jesus. You need to receive the fact that Jesus desires that you would be with him. And if you're somewhere else right now and you're not with him, what repentance mean is, it means is I'm going to turn around and go back towards my creator. I'm going to go towards this Jesus who calls me with the most compelling vision in life. And if that's you, just pray it in your heart. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. Lead me in the way everlasting. Take my life. It's yours. Forgive me of my sin. Teach me about this joy. Teach me about truth. I give myself to you. I don't understand all of this, but Lord, I, I, I place myself in your hands. Or maybe you've been convicted today about your own prayer life and you need to be reminded to pray the truth. Don't just get tossed back and forth by the waves of culture and by your own thoughts and by whoever happens to be speaking to you, but declare the truth. How frustrating it must be and heartbreaking it must be for God our Father to watch us wallow around in lies that destroy us. He calls us upward towards the truth. You are the beloved of God, my friend. You are called by him by name. You were not your parents' idea. You were God's idea. In this moment when Jesus prayed, before he was arrested to go to the cross, in that moment, I believe Jesus prayed for you. And he said, I want them to be with me. That's the truth. And there may be things that make you think you're outside of that realm, and that is not true. So repentance just looks like, Lord, teach me to walk in truth. Teach me to pray the truth. Perhaps you've been convicted around praying for your inner circle. You might just need to pray for that spouse, that friend, that brother or sister or parent. You might need to pray for that enemy, that person that frustrates you. You might need to bring your heart before the Lord and offer for forgiveness. You may need to step into the vision and the command that Jesus has for us to be one. We, the church, one. Those who name him as Savior and Lord. And you might just need to offer forgiveness and lay down your arms. So, Lord, we just say yes to you in all these ways. And, church, I just encourage you, make an altar where you are. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here that's returning in any way. And I pray that they would wholeheartedly release their lives into your hands, God. That they would jump full steam with all their weight, everything going on, and be caught by you, their Heavenly Father. I pray their life would change forever. That you would mark them and maybe even mark this exact moment. Lord, I don't don't know how significant what you're doing in, in them is, but... I just feel like there's someone at least, that there's something so significant happening. It's a moment that marks you forever, that you never forget. These are the arms of my Father. This is the love of the God who created me. And I pray you'll never forget that truth. In Jesus' name.
Nessa's giving me very important instructions. <laughs> I'm going to pray this benediction. And then, uh, Je- uh, not Jessica, Nessa, mini Jessica, is going to uh, dismiss us. And what do you want all the kids to say yes? Amen. When, when we say amen, the kids say yes? Okay, at the end of my benediction. And then you do the dismissal? Got it. It's a good plan. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. And everyone says... We can all be dismissed. Love you guys. Have a great day.